BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, welcome back to Be Acne. I'm very excited for this episode today with Brendan. He was recommended by a few different followers who had seen him on Too Hot to Handle and loved just his vibe and what he had to say. And I truly agree. He has great energy. He's very grounded. And I think if there's anything that we could use right now, it's some grounding and some good energy in our lives. So I do really hope that you enjoyed the episode with him. We talk about all the things we talk about edging and like some sexual tips and things like that. We also talk about why he thinks that men are lonelier than ever. The real reason, you know, how it's hard for men to connect with other men and why that is and some other good stuff as well. And before we get into that, I'm going to answer a few of your questions that you submitted via Instagram and then we'll get started. Also want to remind you that we have a really cool women's event coming up this week on the 26th at a an awesome venue. It's called Peoplehood. It's a place that you should know about. Definitely look it up. It is a very cool space that is hosting events right now. And if you are someone who's like, oh, I want to make friends in the city or I just you know, want to meet new people, I think you should check out the other events that they throw. The event that we're having is for women and it's kind of like a dating workshop, but it's also a great place to meet other you know, singles that are your age, that are in the same kind of life moment as you, which is really important. The first question that came up, I want to say this is an age old question, is how to not get too attached early on. This is like the most popular question. I'm sure you've heard me answer it before. I always say keep your eggs in multiple baskets. So don't put everything into this one person. That's the worst thing you can do when dating. In addition to that, I know that when I first started dating Steven, I was really nervous. I was like, oh, this is going to be you know, too good to be true. There's no way this is going to work out. So I just kept saying to myself, you know what? Whatever happens, work out, don't work out. I'm having a nice time. I had a good time. And that's really all that matters at the end of the day. I was like, if this were to end tomorrow, at least I know that I had a nice time. And if I never see this person again, then that's okay because I'm at peace with the fact that we had a good time together in this moment. You know what I'm saying? Like just appreciating it for what it is instead of trying to make it your husband, the future, 
you're envisioning your wedding day, etc. This person asked, how can we learn to like the nice guys? I'm a recovering bad boy lover. This is an inner confidence thing. At least it was for me. I was like so into bad boys, into like these swaggy type of guys who degaffed, like didn't give a fuck and whatever. And then I started realizing like, wait, I have so much to offer. I'm really great. If a guy is treating me like he's unsure about me or he thinks he's better or he doesn't think that I'm great, that's actually a turnoff. So looking at it like if someone's not going to be nice to me, that's a turnoff because I'm amazing and the right guy should be nice to me. Therefore, you know, I like nice guys. And by the way, like, I don't think anyone is just a nice guy. Everyone has some sort of edge and you have to look for it. Like I really, and if they don't, and if they're truly boring and a nice guy, you don't have to like them. You don't have to like someone just because they're nice. You don't have to marry someone just because they're nice. There's so many great people out there. Don't feel like you have to settle for a nice guy. There is an in-between between a nice, boring guy and a guy who's not going to treat you well. And that's like a good guy who has an edge a little bit. And that exists. So don't give, don't give up hope for that. This person asked how to deal with my husband prolonging having kids. To be honest, this would be really tough for me. And I don't know how I would be able to deal with it. I think it's so important to be on the same page about these big subjects, which I consider values. And I imagine you had had a conversation before getting married about having kids. Did this husband of yours, did he change his mind? Because that isn't fair to you, right? Or had you never discussed it? In which case, like that's on both of you. And I think it's hard because I have some friends in this position and I will say like, they're very affected by it. And then they start to convince themselves that their timeline should be different, that they should wait when that might not be what they want. And it's easy for the guy to say, oh no, we should wait when he's not the one who has to bear the children. So I would really sit this guy down and I would say, listen, I don't want to prolong this. And my body is in you know, the age that I want it to be to have kids where I feel good about it, where I feel safe or whatever. And if you're not on board with that, that's like a bigger conversation. And I would maybe even get like a moderator involved, a a therapist or something like that, because I don't see this as a not big deal. I do feel like this is something you need to be on the same page about. Timeline is important and it's ruined relationships of mine in the past as well. Along the same line, someone asked, how did you know you were ready to be a mom? You know, it wasn't like a light bulb moment as much as I just always knew that I wanted to have kids. I always knew that, you know, ever since, especially since meeting Steven, but even before I had, you know, the correct vision of who I was going to spend my life with, I knew that kids were going to be in my future as long as I was, you know, able to have them because I imagine like when I'm older, like what will my legacy be, right? Like how will I pass on the amazing values that my parents taught me and how will I feel complete at the end of my life, no matter how successful or whatever I accomplish would not feel truly valuable to me if I didn't have like my own next generation to kind of pass it along to. 
And I just think it's so important for me to be able to have kids and have a family. I feel like, you know, at the same time though, like I wouldn't be able to have kids in a family and not have a career either. So I think it was important to establish that I had something that I was passionate about. And then it was like, okay, now I'm ready to be a mom because I love my job. I love what I do. And like what's next is to be able to share that with kids. And like, I I love Steven so much and I'm so grateful to have him as a partner, but just him forever, like that's a little boring and it has nothing to do with him. He's an amazing partner. But for me, I would not feel fulfilled if it was just the two of us forever. I think it's so amazing, this opportunity we have to create life. And with a partner who I really, really respect and admire, I want him to pass on all the, all of him, right. To our kids. Like he is going to be the best dad. And I just, I feel like it would be a disservice to not raise kids because both of us, you know, are so adamant about raising good kids, right. I'm, I'm having a boy and I'm so excited to be able to teach this boy to be a good man. And, you know, maybe one day I'll have a girl and I'll, teach her to be a strong woman. And I just think that if you have good values, if you consider yourself a good person, that's an amazing thing to be able to, to pass that along and have kids. We also are Jewish and, you know, Jews are really going through horrible, terrible times right now. And to bring more Jewish children in the world into the world is, is such a gift and such an incredible thing and, and really necessary for a population that will continue to get smaller and smaller as this war continues on. And so I think for all of the above, it was, it was a no brainer. I also think one last thought is just like, I, it wasn't a matter of like, okay, I need to have kids right now, but it was like, I knew I was going to have kids. Why should I delay what's inevitable for like a few more years of traveling with my partner? That sounds fun, of course. Right. But I can have kids now. And then when they get older, I can do that. Hopefully, you know, hopefully we're still around and we're still feeling healthy and we'll be able to do that. So if you know that you want to have kids, I personally don't really understand why you should wait. You know, if you're 30 plus, I just think like, let's go. You know, if we had gotten married at 25, we probably, you know, would have enjoyed a few years of marriage for sure. But I'm 33. I just, I feel like no better time than right now. And uh, I just want to, you know, throw some extra love to anyone who needs it today. I really hope that, you know, listening to the media that you like is a good distraction. I'm trying not to talk about things too much because I want this to be that for you. And I hope that it is. So thank you as always for listening. If you are called to write a review, please do so. It helps the podcast and make sure you check out our YouTube as well. And if you want dating advice, you can always subscribe to patreon.com slash we met at Acme. Thank you. And I hope you enjoy Brendan. Okay. What happens when you mix Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, AKA football and country, you get 
cowboy boots. And I am so excited that we're partnering with this next brand, Tacova's. I was in Austin for the Dear Media like IRL event last year, or I guess that was this year. Wow. And I got the most amazing pair of Tacovas that I still wear to this day. I actually wore them to the Taylor Swift concert and got so many compliments. And I just re-upped, got a new pair of the Jamie boot in black and they're gorgeous. They're like a boot that you can wear with any outfit. If you're going to a fall wedding and you're wearing like a nice silk dress, whatever your style is, Tacovas has a boot for you. They have booties too. And they also have boots for men. So you can get something for your man and style him well. Um, seriously, you need a pair of Tacovas if you haven't. It's like the standard, like the first boot that you get when you're like, okay, I'm ready to get a cowboy boot. They're handcrafted from premium bovine and exotic hides. Every pair of Tacovas is quality made to keep you in a personal style that's all yours to own and for others to admire, which they do. They have vintage denim and then more formal ones. Like I mentioned, if you want to wear them to a wedding and they always draw eyes and start conversations. So when comfort leads, confidence follows and Tacovas delivers both right to your door. Visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently all season long. Hey, Bestie, I'm Taylor. And I'm Morgan. We are the hosts of Creeps and Crimes podcast. Every Thursday, Morgan takes us on a deep dive into a paranormal case or a conspiracy theory. And Taylor will bring you a detailed and accurate reporting on a true crime case. Since we launched in 2020, we have never missed a Thursday. With over 160 episodes ready for you to binge, you will never run out of cases. And you can follow along on Instagram at Creeps and Crimes podcast. Whether you're in the car or enjoying a glass of wine, tune in every Thursday to Creeps and Crimes. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. I'm so excited to be here with intimacy coach, Brandon Durrell. How you doing, Lindsay? How you doing? I, I think before we tell anybody, I just want to say like you inspire me to, to get a razor flip phone. <laughs> <laughs> so Brandon is so funny. So I had like a bit of a crisis before we started recording this episode and my SD card wasn't fitting into my recorder. So Brandon was very patient. I was like, I need to run to CVS. I need to fix the situation. And I was emailing him from my phone. And you know how you can change your sent from my iPhone message. I changed it a while ago to sent from my Razor flip phone. And he was like, I can't believe you have a Razor flip phone. (laughs) (laughs) But the funny thing is, I never had a Razor flip phone. Did you? No, I, I was a bleep bleep Nextel guy back in the day. Me too. I never, my, well, back then, like, you know, my parents were supporting me and I could ne- like, they would never get me like the cool new phone over their dead bodies. Like they were like, you are getting the Sony Ericsson, no <laughs> games on your phone. And I was so jealous of all my friends with their Razor flip phones. So now I'm like living my, my true fantasy of having one. I support it, Lindsay. Thank you. Thank you. So backing up a little for anyone who doesn't know you, Brandon, how old are you and where are you from? I am 36 years young and I'm originally from New York, born in Jersey and just live between New York and New Jersey. Love it. And also like need you to drop the skincare routine because you are glowing. 
<laughs> Thank you. It's uh, I'm going to say a lot of it's genetic, but a lot of it's also I do a lot of supplementation and I, I do a lot of stuff around my environment to, to nurture. But thank you. I love it. And what is your current relationship status? Current relationship status is dating and hopeful dating with with one person. And it feels really good. It's new. And it's uh, it's it's very different than what I've experienced in the past, and very revealing for a lot of stuff with me. And I would say over the last like couple months, I really had a rude awakening in what it actually takes to to be a masculine space within a dynamic. And we can get more into that down the line. But but yeah, I would say uh, my current situation in, in dating this beautiful woman, she's uh, she's absolutely rewriting a lot of scripts that I've had in my mind playing out that would sabotage me. I love that. How did you meet? One of my sisters who uh, who I, in my African tradition that I, I train in, she did a, a film project with her. And so the connection was through there. That's awesome. And your sister was like, you should meet my brother. Or did you meet her through that? And you were like, who's she? Yeah, I met her through that. I was like, who's she? And it was just something, something different, you know, something that was, I would say uh, I was still like, had a lot of apprehension and resistance. However, I was like following a thread within me. Like I probably should just say hi. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I did stalk you a little bit and I noticed you were, you had a lot of Leo placements. Does that mean you're a Leo son? Yeah. Leo son and Leo Venus and Leo Mercury. Uh, wow. A lot of Leo, like over so, six aspects is Leo in my chart. That's that's a lot of Leos. So from my experience with Leos, granted, I only dated Leos that were young because I was young when I dated them. There was like a lot of ego and pride involved, but you mm-hmm. seem very much like detached from that. Is that like a conscious thing that you've worked on throughout the years or you never really had that? I never really had that. Like I would say, I mean, I contribute a lot of it to to childhood dynamics and mm-hmm. I, won't, I won't say trauma, I'll say childhood dynamics and just <laughs> who I am. Uh, my pops is a Leo through and through. He's old school. He can, he can sell water to a well kind of thing. But I've never had that, like, let's say gift of gab where it's like, just go up to a stranger who's pumping gas and just have a conversation. But it's been more of like, I, I've astrology terms, my, my ascending is, is Gemini and mm. my moon is Taurus. So my emotional is is set up. And I would say my Leo shows up in a way where it's like, I don't need to have the spotlight on me. However, it's like, you will know who I am and, and I will be acknowledged. However, it's like, you can, you can perform all you want. Mm-hmm. What is this new person in your life's sign? Just out of curiosity. Pisces. Ah, Leo and Pisces always find each other. I swear. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's been beautiful as well because my biggest thing I would say in um in dynamics that would show up is that I always would shut down in regards to harshness. Whenever things felt harsh with a delivery of communication or a delivery of some kind of working through some kind of emotional charge, if I felt anything was charged, I was like, I can't do this. And relating with the Pisces has really softened me as well in my approach to to communicating myself and articulating myself. So it's been a beautiful way because it's fire and water. It's they can work really well, but if if one dominates the other, it could be a catastrophe. Totally, totally. And a lot of people who are listening right now, they might have seen you on the Netflix show Too Hot to Handle, where you were brought in technically as the dating expert, even though you and I had spoken about, you know, 
it all started, you were, you know, you found them or they found you rather because you, you had this workshop on semen retention, which I do, I do not know anything about all I know. And I don't even know if this is related and you can tell me is about edging. Oh yeah. Are they related? And just, you know, for our listeners who are like, what the hell are they talking about? Can you, can you tell us? Yeah. Edging is a practice within semen retention, semen retention, or some people might call it no fap, the no fap movement. However, I don't agree with no fap, FAP, just because it's very like, it's, it's very harsh and it's like cold Turkey to your genitals. And I'll explain more, but, um, but semen retention is essentially a practice that goes back thousands of years in, in Asian traditions. And it's essentially, and I've learned it via Taoism and how I can maximize my libido, my vitality. So it's like, let's say I'll choose like, okay, I'm not going to ejaculate. I'm not going to come for 14 days. That's mm-hmm. my commitment to myself. And uh, the first step of this practice as a man, it's that I'm going to honor my word. And not only honoring my word, it's good. I'm going to put myself in position so that I can, can accomplish this thing. So what it is, it's like, I still can, if I'm partnered or not partnered, I still can experience pleasure. I still can have sex. I can still masturbate masturbating within semen retention is edging. So let's say there's a scale between one and 10 and 10 is like, I'm literally like, there's no going back. I already pre-came and it's like, it's gone. It's like, I just got to go. And then mm-hmm. one's like flaccid penis. So edging is a practice to get me to, let's say a six, you know, a five or six, get really aroused, turned on, feel the energy, feel all of the thing building up and then stopping, taking some deep breaths, getting back down, getting grounded, breathing into that energy of the euphoria. And then I go back into it again. I do a couple rounds of that. And what this does, it builds up stamina for a man. If there's any men out there listening or any women listening, your partner struggles with, let's say ED or some other stuff, this can really support the pace because I know men who, let's say they ejaculate really fast. However, if they bring these practices in, it expands that time they can pleasure their partners and themselves. So yeah, there's a lot to go into a semen retention, but you're right on with edging. Edging is a vital practice within semen retention. Yeah, that's so interesting because I feel like it's always kind of been like put on me as the woman to like, you know, during sex, if the man is like ready to go, but he wants it to last longer, he'll be like, stop, don't move. Like, just let's stop for a second. And, And it's like, why does it have to, why me? Like, why can't you do something within yourself to make it continue. So I guess I'm sure you, you teach that. Yeah. And that's, that's another thing too, because it's, let's say those emotions that he's feeling, like, let's say like the the stop that, that, that frantic stop that comes in, that could be literally like, he's at like a nine and a half about to go over to a 10, you know, he's, he's about to blow up. And it's like, as a man check, semen retention helps you check into self-inquire about where you are on that scale. And it's not a scientific thing. Like, let's say you're making love, you're in the space you're not like calculating like, oh, I'm at a six, seven, eight, nine. It's not like that. It's free flowing, but it's like understanding sensations, also understanding what my partner does and, and that I'm relating with that would put me over the edge. So it's like if I'm going in and in, in a very beautiful way, understanding my pace in that. And like if I know that her tones, her voices are going to get me to a nine or 10, I slow down my pace, not completely, but just slow it down, breathe bringing a different aspect of, let's say, taking the driver's wheel in this situation. Mm-hmm. I also recently have been talking to a lot of my followers who are mostly female about not being offended by like during sex, for example, let's say when the woman's on top, 
and the man is like not, you know, as hard as he would be if like it was a different position that he liked better. And it's like, how do you, how are you not like, how do you not take that personally? And like, what do you, you know, just like if let's say the man is only like fully aroused when it's like doggy style or something. And like, you know, the woman's like, is this a red flag? Because like my face is never in the picture when he's like most, you know, satisfied or whatever. Like, how do you not take something like that personally? And is it personal? Could it be? Yeah, it it could be. It purely depends on the unique situation. Because let's say for me, how that's showing up and it's to me, it's completely like it's biological for me at times. Let's say if I'm in a, if I'm being, is it road? I'm being ridden. I'm being cowboy, <laughs> cowgirl. Wait, 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 I'm being ridden. If if I'm in that position, just laying flat on my back naturally, it's like blood flow is naturally going to go away from my penis. If it's like a long time, that's just science. Like it's going to move away from my penis and it's going to go. I'll still be hard, but it's not going to be like a ten if I'm like on top like this with the blood. Oh, that makes more. sense. So that that's another thing for me. Now it's like I don't shy away from connection, eye contact, breathing together in the intimate space. So it's like now. But if a man is not making, let's say he's like, she's with her partner in that position and he's not making eye contact, his eyes are just closed the whole time like this, or he's like avoiding eye contact, then there could be some things that it's like, maybe this dude is struggling with intimacy, you know? Mm. So yeah, I feel things like, I feel it's very unique to the situation, but I know for me and my, my experience, it's if I'm just laying flat too long in that area, it's like blood flow just kind of leaves. So I need to flip over so blood can rush down. That's really interesting. That's good perspective. When you worked on the show Too Hot to Handle, did you learn anything that you were surprised by? Or was it more like you just, you know, teaching what you know? What I learned in in that space was that I know the show, it, it, they do an amazing job at, at, at uh, casting and filming and things. And it further solidified my my passion for demystifying sex for not making it taboo, like, because it's still a taboo conversation. And I I always say there's what, 8 billion people on this planet. Every single one's a product of sex, every single one. And we're not even including the animals and the nature and the primal aspects of just life in general. So everything is a part, product of sex. So there's an aspect within the show that it's like, if you experience pleasure that, you know, it's it's a bad thing, you know? And for me, it's like, it's never a bad thing to experience pleasure timing maybe the the conversation in regards to like when they're breaking the rules like can you do things to like not get to that space for the for the purpose of these three weeks that we're doing this so i would say it further pushed me and i learned like how passionate i am about making pleasure uh just you know a household conversation and not just with adults but also with you know teenagers and if you're a parent in a situation encouraging pleasure encouraging exploration because I don't feel like I remember being in puberty and remember, and I, I honestly, I would give anything to feel that feeling sometimes of just how raging my hormones were. And also like how horny I was all the time, like in, in the testosterone, everything was just different when I was 15, 16, 17, 18. And I understand how some of these kids are casted on the show because they're still in the midst of that, you know? Right. And it's like, they're being put in very challenging situations to be like, Hey, without any kind of practices, no edging, no nothing. And you're saying, hey, don't touch each other. And I'm like, that's very intense. So I would say normalizing pleasure is is what I've learned. One of the biggest things from the show. 
Mm-hmm. But does that translate to, so I have like dating rules that I kind of follow and preach. And one of those rules is not to have sex on the first date. And I feel like you're going to definitely have an opinion on this. And it's not because I'm not sex positive. It's more so because, you know, you're building this connection and this build up to which it's more, it's like edging, but emotionally, right? And mm-hmm. you are making it, you know, f- figuring out if you have this connection without the sex and then adding it in. And then it's like this amazing experience. Whereas, you know, in my experience, when I have had sex after the first date, I have lost interest as a woman. Like, forget even like women being like, men won't like you after you have sex. I lost interest. And so I wonder if you have any thoughts on it. And, you know, obviously you're extremely sex positive. So do you think that that's a harmful thing to perpetuate to not sleep with someone on the first date? Absolutely not. Like I, I, I really love your, I don't want to say rule, but your perspective on it because I'm all about the slow burn. And I feel in the slow burn is a very intricate part of Tantra, the lifestyle of Tantra, Tantra yoga, any kind of yogic practices, it's um, stillness and taking your time. It's not about rushing. And I feel something as simple as not having sex on the first date keeps the polarity really fresh and exciting. A mentor of mine would always tell me at least 30 days, like before, like if I'm dating somebody new to have the first time we have sex, it's like, keep exploring until you get there. And Mm -hmm. then even breaking it down, let's say like, even the first time we're say like it's it's date number two and you're going to go all in and as as the masculine in the space it's having discipline to not even touch any genitals don't touch breasts nothing for at least 45 minutes essentially warming up the oven you can't bake bread in a cold oven so having that kind of discipline in that space is really important so i'm all for because i feel i felt it too and i still feel it you know this is why i'm a big advocate for intimacy because intimacy without sex is just sex you need intimacy to keep the fire burning, like going forward and these practices and intentional time with each other. So I'm all about the slow burn and that's just me as well. And I see life as a whole as foreplay, like foreplay is not just like before we have sex, foreplay is as soon as we wake up in the morning, I'm biting her neck, you know, like mm-hmm. in a gentle, playful way. And then I'm getting up, taking a shower, getting to work. And then she's like, well, you just leave me here kind of thing. It's like, yeah, probably. You know, like, like, yeah, like, we'll, we'll get back to this later. So before play is like, uh, it's a marathon, it's a lifestyle, it's all day. So especially when it comes to dating, it's like, if you have intentions on being with somebody for a long time, you have time to like, let things just marinate. So I'm with you. I'm all up, all about the slow burn. I like that idea of foreplay being like all day and kind of always with your partner. It also like makes it more fun to be in that, like, long-term relationship that could otherwise be boring if you didn't have that stuff. Like even just like texting with my partner, I feel like sometimes can be foreplay, like not even sexually texting, just like being funny and joking with each other and not really letting the conversation end. And then when we see each other, it's like, oh, like, you know, we've been talking and here you are. So I love that. You may have unfortunately seen on my Instagram story that I've been dealing with some stomach issues during my pregnancy. And I was like, what can I do? Like, I need to get my gut back on track. I'm just feeling gross and like gas pains. And no, it's not like I'm farting all the time. 
I wish that were the case. Instead, I'm just feeling like bubbled and gross. And I was like, what am I doing differently that I wasn't doing before? And what can I still be doing during pregnancy? And I realized that I stopped drinking my AG1 daily. And I can't explain to you, it has really not been good for me. Because if you know, if you're a longtime listener, you know that I am like religious with drinking my AG1 for two years now. I don't know why I would change that. And so I'm doing it again. It's back into my routine. I'm doing like, you know, a Sculpt Society workout in the morning, then drinking my AG1 or reverse if my body's craving it. And it's so important to just have a routine back. When I started drinking AG1 daily, and really I did it because my gut wasn't good and it just felt better to incorporate it into my routine, it really changed the game for me because AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, which is a long time now, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. And I really recommend AG1 to all of my family and friends because there's a reason that it's so incredible for you. There's a team of doctors and scientists. They tested it for 950 contaminants. Like it's so good for you. The proof is there. It's formulated based on the latest science and maintains high quality standards. AG1 is the supplement that I trust to provide the support that my body needs daily. And that's why they've been a partner for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash Acme. That's drinkag1.com slash Acme. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. So there was an article recently, I forgot what publication, but basically about how men are like lonelier than ever. And men are just like women are fine, but men are struggling essentially. And I wonder, because I imagine you speak to mostly men, but maybe it's an even amount of men and women, but like, where are men to you, you know, struggling the most and like, why? Why is this happening? What happened now versus like 10 years ago? Yeah. First thing I would like to preface is that it's interesting. Let's say social media wise, 70% of women follow me, 30% men. And that's the case for a lot of masculinity leaders as well. Because then I contributed to a lot of things and could be also men aren't ready to hear what I have to say, you know, or I might trigger something that, you know, like inside. So I want to say that my I, I speak deeply to a lot of women, and but working one-on-ones with a lot of men. And from the men that I've worked with, I also have a men's experience happening in the Amazon rainforest in a couple of weeks. So we're going to talk about these things as well. I would say loneliness is a human pandemic right now, like not just men. But if we come down, like, and intimacy is a pandemic, a human pandemic as well. But when it comes to romantic relating, like definitely I feel men are as lonely as ever as well, just because not just without a life partner, but also just in companionship and healthy companionship. 
And to me, it, it, it makes sense that a lot of men would struggle in intimacy because they don't even have an environment with close friends who are willing to call them forward and to call them into their excellence and greatness. So, and then they can hide in other areas of their lives. That's why I feel having a support system of, of men around you, if you're a man, is, is very vital because it, it's not only levels up your awareness around, you know, friendship and platonic relating, uh, but also with your partner. But I say there's so many like dynamics and I was walking to the gym the other day and I was just seeing so many people. It's I'm in, currently in Vancouver, BC right now and it's going into fall. It's beautiful. Leaves changing, all the things, sun is shining. And I was just walking to the gym and I see how people were just down, like looking at their phones, like, you know, the same old story we see people always looking down. And I just had this thing in my mind creatively. I was like, like, what if the person with her head down, like, walks past the love of her life, but she would never know. Oh, and there's, vice versa. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and vice versa. And I'm just like, like that probably happens all the time. Like somebody that's meant to be influential in their lives, they just miss them because they're down. So I would say like tech, whatever we want to call it. And I'm sure there's probably mm. things out there that represent this, but that got me thinking about loneliness. It's like, we're looking for connection here, but it's like this person just walked past me right here. Who's like right here. So I feel that's a big part of intimacy conversation today in the loneliness. I love that. And you just reminded me of this poem that I feel like you would love. I have to read it to you. you Yeah. Okay. It's all right. She had blue skin and so did he. He kept it hid and so did she. They searched for blue their whole life through, then passed right by and never knew. (laughs) Yep. That's exactly that encapsulates it. That's exactly what it is. That's like the modern version of that poem, but it's true. Like I always, you know, when people are like, how do I meet in person? I never meet IRL. It's like, well, look around you. Like when you're online at Starbucks or wherever, like, I bet you there's someone who would like to meet too, but you're not a, like, you're not available. Yeah. Like you're just not even looking around. Yeah. And it's a thing too. It's like, of course, like I know the privilege of being a man and traveling and being in public. There's a level of privilege that comes with that because of safety. And I'm not saying for, let's say a woman to be completely open to everybody and everything like, hell no, like, don't do that. Like I'm a Leo. I'm the first one to be like, fuck that person. Like that's just Mm -hmm. my, that's my initial reaction. And I'm from New York. So it's like, that's my initial until somebody proves me otherwise. But it's just like, you know, it's okay to have a little bit more of wandering eyes, curiosity in your environment. And also playing the polarity game of playing, like even learning about yourself. Like, let's say you're at um, the coffee shop and it's like looking at different archetypes of men in that space and just feeling like, am I attracted to this kind of man? Am I not? Why? Yes, no, blah, blah, blah. Move on to the next one. I feel just keeping your head off your device and just looking around is very important for for self-discovery and inquiry when it comes to intimacy and, and learning yourself and with a partner going forward. Yeah, agreed. What would you say to the men and women out there who still like really are obsessed with this challenge person and like getting, you know, the act of getting somebody and then like once that person actually reciprocates and likes them back, they lose interest. Yeah. How do they get over that? Yeah. I always bring it back to childhood dynamics and, and the things that we've experienced, like the same way people explore ancestry. I explore like just childhood dynamics as best as I can, because I also was in a part of that in, in, a, in a section of my life where it's like, I would be so like gung-ho about um, somebody so excited and 
super monogamous, but also then once something would hit and it wasn't even after sex, it wasn't even like a sexual thing. Like after I got it, I, it dissipated. Like it was like more of like an emotional thing. There's things that we've encountered in our lives as well that has brought that about. And for me, it was always protection. Like it always came down to protection with me. Uh, when somebody got too close to see my blue skin, like the po- like mm-hmm. the, the poem, I was like, holy fuck, they, they can't see my blue skin. So I'm going to do everything mm-hmm. in my power so they don't see it. And that was my thing. And I got to the bottom of that based on my upbringing and, and my dynamics with my mom and sisters, et cetera, like that. Yeah. But like, what about the men who aren't willing to look at their childhood trauma? Like the men who are not into therapy and won't be. Yeah. And I, I'm, I take the position always that most people come into life not looking to heal and expand and grow in a way that we think. Like a lot of people who are in personal development, spirituality, they think that everybody's birthright is to grow and to expand. And it's like, it's not. Some people come in just to be who they are and for their whole lives, whether they regret it or not. So when I see there's people of like, oh, they're always in this pattern. It's like maybe they're meant to be in this pattern for their whole life going forward. Like it's not for us to change them or that hope that they change. I'm like, maybe the next life, maybe the next life. So Mm -hmm. there's some people who just won't change. Like, and that's just what it is. And I feel that's a tough pill for those out there who like want to see the world change. It's like the the nature of it is that not everybody came here to grow in the way that we did. That's so true. And I really believe in that. Like I always say, like my sister, for example, and I mean this with so much love and I've said this to her, like she's in her first life on this earth. Like that is a fact. And that doesn't mean that like, she's not amazing. She is. It just means that, you know, this is not her life of discovery. This is not like, you know, where she wants to make changes. She wants to experience it. She's in her first life. Whereas like, I often feel like I'm like, am I like second to last? I don't know if it ever ends, but I'm like, oh, I'm tired of this already. But yeah, that's really interesting. And you mentioned like how crucial it is for men to have this like group or, you know, other male friends that they can be emotionally real with and honest with. But I've seen firsthand, like my husband, he's lucky that he has a few, a few of those guys that he could be real with. But for the most part, it's very superficial with men. We'll go to dinner with a new couple and like a man and woman. And my husband will be like talking to the guy about like work and like the market and, you know, how much money they lost this year and whatever. And they'll look over and like her and I, we've just met, we're talking about fertility struggles. We're talking about, you know, like our deepest, you know, like a a cyst we had removed last year. Like we are totally, everything is out on the table. We have no fear to get deep and to get real. And like, you know, we're like, oh my God, you know, I hate the way I look or whatever. Like women are just ready to go deep. And I just feel like it's so hard for men to actually have a real conversation. And who knows, like, let's say my husband did say to the guy, like, you know, I've been really, you know, struggling lately. I feel like having a startup is really hard. And I just didn't, you know, like I just, I don't even know that the guy would react the way that like the women and I are going. So it's like, how do you even find that realness with another man? Yeah. I say just going for it. Like, let's say if, if you're, if your your partner definitely did that, he just like, he was like, I'm just going to say it. Like, 
I'm struggling right now. Like my business is, whew, I'm tired. Like my, my lady's pregnant. We got a baby coming. I just got a lot on my plate. And it's like, I feel like just go for it. You know, like the filtering process of that will call in the people who are meant to listen to you in that way. And this is why like when I do men's spaces as well, prompts are the biggest thing. And even for myself, it's like the exploration of that. It's, and I approach it the same way I would approach, you know, like intimacy, like be very direct with the questions that I'm asking myself. Because the thing is like most men aren't like that. Most men aren't able to be in a space to, to hear and just witness another man speaking about his challenges because they're not capable of that within themselves. So I just say like, go in for it. You know, it's like, cause we could be surprised too. Like thing is too, like, and I, I've been in this space being a personal development, being a spirituality where I have this prejudgment of like, oh, this motherfucker can't hold me. I'm not going to share my emotions. I'm not going to do that. Hell no, I'm going to look stupid. And mm -hmm. then it turns out that this person is an exceptional listener. Like they're, they're all in, they might not be like the master splinter or like freaking Yoda. However, it's like just the way that they listen to me. And they understood, I was like, damn, this is a bro. And that's happened to me several times where my ego sabotaged these connection points as well. Right. Yeah. And I feel like we don't give men like the chance to show us that they can emotionally relate to us. But then if you think about it, like, you know, if this man is married to a woman, he knows how to do that. Like he's married to a woman. And so I'd hope that she has confided in him and he supported her. So why can't he support another man hearing what he has to say? Yeah, it's just taboo. You know, our culture just isn't set up to do that. And that's a whole nother thing too, when it comes to <clears throat> like why I feel men's spaces, I have spaces where I can go. Even and when I say spaces, it can even be just like two homies who, who are mm -hmm. from, because I, I have like a set of friends and I have them all like compartmentalized. Like I have childhood friends who I've known for three decades, who I don't talk about certain things with because it's just not there. And then I have, let's say, personal development friends or spirituality friends, people who I met at retreats, people who I met in different spaces of, of, of vulnerability and things like that. And it's like, I have different things with different friends. And I also know that the, my childhood friends that I've known for over 30 years, like they, they simply cannot hold me the way that my personal development friends can. And it's like, I've tried it with my childhood friends. They're just not there, but we we love each other in a different way. So I feel getting clear on who these people are in your life as well. It's like, you have your your sports bros, you have your, your work bros, and then you have your like emotional bros. And I feel that's very okay to have these things compartmentalized uh, in creating your community and your support system. That's so true. And I'm actually curious if you would be open to sharing, like, what is it about the childhood friends that you feel like you can't share with them? I feel it's the same thing as childhood dynamics. It's like they've they've met me at a, at a long time ago in one way. And let's say my childhood nickname is Bam. They will call me Bam Bam, they call me Bam. So it's like, they know me as, as Bam. And whoever I was in that time, it's like, that's the impressionable mark that they met me as was that, that boy. And it's like, even though we've matured over the years, we've kept the same humor, we've kept the same likes, the same things that were solidified within us then. So when it comes to different dynamics and, and knowing and knowing them, it's there's just some topics that I wouldn't go into, whether it's political, they have different opinions, whether it's like medical, political, like whatever it might be like that. It's like, I love you. And it's like, that's not our place to talk about that. Like our relationship and intimacy, it's okay that it's not like let's say shooting off on all areas. It doesn't have to. Like we make this thing that 
people that we know have to satiate all of our desires the same way we do romantically. It's like, oh, the perfect person for me is going to do this, 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 and that. Same thing with friendships. It's like people don't have to tick all the boxes to be your friend. Yeah, that's so true. It's like a friend for every purpose. And then like rarely, but sometimes you have a friend who's like in a lot of those boxes. Exactly. But, exactly. But it's rare. And I, and I have that. Let's say like one of my spirituality person development friends, let's say he's a four out of five in regards to like full on brother to me, that one, that, that one that's missing out of the four out of five it's that he just doesn't have like the humor and like, let's say the, the roasting abilities that mm. my boys have from New York, you know, he has mm-hmm. everything else, but it's like, let's say I send him a meme or a joke and he's just like, uh, and I'm like, yeah, it's like, he just won't get it. And it's fine, you know, but he yeah. satiates all the parts of me, you know, and we get to, we get to be intimate that way. Yeah. That's really interesting. I feel like I have a lot of four out of five. I have like a few four out of five friends and it's, it's interesting what they're missing. Luckily for, for me, it, it isn't humor, but it's like that person that like you have the best time with isn't necessarily going to show up for you when you need them. But they have like when you're with them, they're such a good vibe and you feel so good. But then like when you're like, oh, my God, I got a promotion. They're like, cool. Like yeah. and the other friend is like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Like your soul is so blessed by the earth. Um, yeah. It's funny. And I'm so aware of it. And and it's fine for me. I used to like judge myself of like, oh, why do I do this? And I actually really learned. It's funny because on with Two Out to Handle, when I'm filming with them, they provide us a chaperone. I call it a babysitter. But essentially, it's a person who is like the, they represent us for the production. Like if we need anything in our villa, they get it for us. And my first chaperone, she's English woman, hilarious. She's a producer. And I remember she pulled out this little pad and we were by the pool and she was just in there like this. She got off the phone with somebody and she was just writing it. And I was like, I was like, what's, what's, what's in that book? And, and she goes, oh, it's just a list of my friends. And like, I just move people around based on the times of my life and the seasons of like who I should pour into more and, and lean into based on where I'm at. And I was like, wow. Like, and, and she was teaching me about things and I was there as an expert in intimacy for two odd to handle. And I, re- and I asked her more about it. I go, like, how do you get to the space of like, who's here? She goes, well, actually a big part of it is when let's say I take dips and I don't contact anybody, I always can tell like people who generally care about me because they check in on me as well. She goes, I'm usually the one who checks on people all the time and keeping the, the, the connection going. She goes, a few times a year when I'm not feeling my best, I let the connection go. And then I see who shows up for me, who's just curious about where I've been. And she goes, that's how I keep people and my close intimate connections with at top priority for my life. That's really interesting. I love the idea of like knowing where to pour. Exactly. I, like, yeah, I love that. I don't know if I would like measure it by who checks in on me just because everyone has such different shit Lots. going on. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like you pour into different people at different moments based on what's going on in your life and theirs. And if it's, you know, compatible at that time. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to do some fun rapid fire questions. Do men with commitment issues still propose? Yes or no? Yes. When you sneeze, does it come out of your mouth or your nose? Mouth, nose, and ass. (laughs) (laughs) Mouth and nose. Mouth and nose. For those, so let's say you're in a long term relationship with this person that you mentioned already. Do you feel like you compromised on something or do they truly check all the boxes that you had wanted? Check the boxes that I want. Mm. 
you're getting cosmetic surgery in another state and your partner doesn't want to come because he doesn't have anything to do there when you needed his support. Is that a red flag or a deal breaker? I say red flag. Mm -hmm. If someone is happily in a relationship for two months, yet they're checking out the Instagram stories of a past hookup, does that mean they're not actually happy or it doesn't mean anything? That's a tough one because I feel it's unique, but I would say, I say it, it can go either way. I know he's a rapid fire, but I would say there's a lot of, there's a lot of layers to that, but I would say it's not a red flag until it does become one. Mm. I feel like I'm, we're all always lurking. It doesn't mean much. Yeah. Have you, yeah. Have you been in a long-term relationship with someone that you weren't physically attracted to on the first date? Yes or no? Yes. Interesting. Is it okay to get icked out by someone's grammar over text or are you being too harsh? <laughs> Old me would have been like, yes, totally ick. New me, it's like, nah, it's, it's, if that's the least of the worries and it's cool. So I would say, yeah. uh, no, it's not a big deal for me now. If you were in a safe long-term relationship, would you let your significant other tape you having sex with them to watch later when you're not around? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You find out that your new significant other was actively swiping on a dating app two days before asking you to be official. Is that a red flag, deal breaker, or annoying, but I'll get over it? Red flag. Yeah. Is it normal for your significant other's parents to not act super warm and fuzzy and instead more distant towards you the first time they meet you? Definitely not normal. Is it a red flag or a green flag? that your boyfriend calls his mom every day and also texts her during the day. Red flag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, bro, so if anybody out there dealing with that, send that dude to me. We need to like knock mm -hmm. some sense to that mama's boy. Mm -hmm. Like I love a mama's boy, but texting all day, calling every day. Nah, bro, it's a lot. Too much. <laughs> Let her come to you, you know? Exactly. If, okay, this one, I'm really curious your opinion. You're dating a guy for about a month and on a night out, you thought that he was into your friend. So you asked him if he was, and he said he would be into a threesome with her. You then shared you weren't into that and you felt insecure about it. He apologized, said he really likes you and whatever you want, he's happy with and it won't happen again. Is that a red flag, a deal breaker or no big deal? Red flag. Yeah, for for like him to just jump on that opportunity to tell you that he wants to have a threesome with your friend when you're not even more than a month in. Yeah, and it's like it's like let's say you've been cultivating intimacy for a very long time and then you want to open it up to something but like friends is a no-go. Like immediate circles yeah. are no-go always, you know? And this is not this is not to say like you can't be attracted to somebody's friend just physically, but it's like that's a no-go for sure. Also, like, you don't need to tell them, like, nah. it's, yeah. You went on a first date and he ended it after one drink because he had a work presentation the next morning. Is he not into it or do you think he really had to go home? I would say he's not into it. Again, it, it depends, but I would say not into it because it's, uh, if he has a work presentation tomorrow and he made plans with you the night before, he would have did everything in his power to, to make sure that he did, he had things done for that presentation so it didn't bleed into right. your time together. Mm, you heard it here first. You're dating someone who's newly divorced. When is it okay to ask for details of the breakup, like who wanted to split, et cetera? The first few dates, after three dates, or after dating for one or two months? I'd say the first uh, three dates. Mm. 
And the last one, have you ever seen a relationship where one person masterminded it? Like they knew what they wanted early on and deliberately or subtly made things happen. You mean in regards to like the full on like relationship? Like they just, they like white house, pigs, fence, kids, blah, 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 stuff like that. Like they, yeah, like kind of like they were like, oh, that I'm getting that one. And, you know, I'm going to make him love me and marry me. And then he actually did or something. Oh yeah, absolutely. I've seen that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. Does it like, usually work? Oh, uh, like I, from my experience of the two people that I know in my mind, it's there's, there's always one who's like, uh, you know, let's say not reaping the benefits as much emotionally. Yeah. There's, there's like a little imbalance. Mm-hmm. Intimacy wise going forward. Interesting. This was so fun. Brendan, can you leave us with a quote or piece of advice, something that has helped you throughout the years? Ah, well, there's so many. Um, I would say, you know, it's, uh, just checking in every day with your humanity, like with the aspect of you that's human. And no matter how deep you get into inner work, spirituality, it's like still remember that you're human first. Like like you can long for the stars, but it's like for some reason the stars sent you here to be human. And don't take that away from yourself. Like always give yourself the opportunity to be human, to be messy like a human, to, to fuck up because good people also fuck up. And it's, it's, there's a thing that you can give yourself grace in life all the time. And I always remember my, remind myself of that because there's sometimes I'm just so hard on myself that I try to be perfect, you know? And it's like, bro, you're a human. There's not been one professional human in the history of humans. So why am I thinking I am? So yeah, take that to the bank. <laughs> I love that. Where can everybody find you, follow you and potentially work with you? IG, Brennan Durrell. Following the the Acme page, you can find me there on my website, brennandurell.com. And yeah, get involved. Like I love, I work with everybody, um, no matter your your preference. I work with non-binary men, women, it, it, it doesn't matter. Like I'm here to support all the aspects and things that I teach, even with tantra and sexuality applies to everybody. It's not, it's not exclusive. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lindsay. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.